Ladies and gentlemen, we are live! This is the moment you all have been waiting for! It's time for the global sensation, the one, the only, the undisputed heavyweight podcast in the world, the Mass Timber Construction Podcast. And now... Here's Paul Kramer, your host. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are in the world today. Welcome to the Mass Timber Construction Podcast. We are back talking to Swinnerton, but something's changed in the meantime. We have had a name change to Timber Lab. And last time we spoke to Chris and Sam, we were getting a sneak peek into Ascent and we were realizing that the panels were coming on the way, the design was being done, and it was all very exciting. Well, now we're in a post-build completion interview with Taylor, who worked on the project. Taylor, would you like to introduce yourself and welcome to the show? Yeah, thanks so much, Paul. Uh, I'm Taylor Cabot. I'm a project manager with Timber Lab, um, and we were uh, integral to the supply um, and procurement of all the mass timber on Ascent. And the project was 25 stories, and we know there's probably a million panels and a million cubic meters, and it's going to save a million cubic um, cubic tons of CO2. That's not what I want to know about today. I want to know what were the difficult challenges on the project and you know how can we actually understand some of the lessons that you learned from doing something that was quite significant and you know how can that progress around the world so first question will be you know what was the most significant challenge on the project i think one of the significant challenges that we discovered really quickly on in the project um, was while the floor plan was pretty repetitive all the way up, all 19 stories, the units were pretty similar. Um, in an effort to reduce the wood fiber, we reduced the size of the columns on every level as we went up the building. Um, and it quickly became clear that, you know, when you do that, of course, every column size is different. And then every beam actually gets a little different because it gets longer. Um, so we quickly started realizing that we had made an entirely custom building. Um, and so we had about 2,500 pieces. I know you didn't want to hear about the piece count, <laughs> but we, we had 2,500 uh, individual pieces of glue lamb that were all incredibly unique. Um, and that was, you know, exciting, but also a huge, you know, kind of logistical challenge to make sure that all those pieces were made, um, you know, exactly how they needed to be. And all the pieces, the steel pieces and other things that came in contact with them uh, were also kind of labeled um, and, and were taking into account all those changes. And so when it has um, effectively floor, floor by floor, uh, column and beam systems with connection systems, obviously you've got to have a lot of staging that happens. Did you actually have the area on the site to stage in a way that was um, efficient for assembly or did you have to do that offsite? Yeah, great question. It's a really um, tight site if you, and I'm hoping everybody eventually goes and visits and, and walks by, drives by, but um, it gets to see inside of it too. But um, it's a it's a pretty urban site, um, you know, lot line to lot line um, on a too busy, at least one really busy street in Milwaukee. So there really was no lay down available on the site. 
Um, uh, we realized that pretty early on that was not going to be possible for us. Um, we got a lucky charm and that we partnered with the Port of Milwaukee um, that was only seven minutes away from the job site. And they had a large kind of open um, actually pier that we put all of the wood out on. Um, and that was fabulous for us. We actually, you know, since everything came in from Europe, um, you know, they're coming in by large container loads, bigger oftentimes than a truckload would be. So we were very lucky to have this site and spread things out there. But ultimately, um, you know, we pack these things so efficiently into containers that we laugh that you couldn't even take a breath uh, if you were inside of them. So, um, you know, one of the issues was if you start opening up these these loads and breaking them apart, it kind of is like Pandora's box. You've opened it up and now what do you do? So we actually discovered that the easiest solution was to leave them in their perfectly packaged containers, um, you know, pull them out of the container, leave the bundle as is, ship it to site on a truck and then lift it up to the deck and shag out all the pieces on the deck by placing um, everything on carts. Um, and this ended up being wildly efficient too because we had less crane time because we're taking, instead of individually lifting the pieces piece by piece, you know, 25 stories up in the air, um, we're now bringing everything up to the deck and then making short little moves um, while we're up there. That's an, an, an important point because I think, you know, when we talk about cook time and we talk about efficiencies, we are talking about loads of elements. It's a single panel. It's a, it's a deep beam. It's a, it's a column structure. And we, we put it onto some sort of landing deck that sits on the side of the level we're working on. And, and then we move all the materials across. But you're actually saying that the, the carts that you use from the wharf effectively could be transported to the site and lifted as one lift that's that's an impre- who was the genius that came up with that was that you <laughs> oh my gosh i so wish um you know we uh, <laughs> i've built a lot of mass timber buildings before this and we've done it that traditional way exactly like you're talking about where pe- we're lifting piece by piece um up to the deck and setting it immediately into place and dropping the hook back and starting over at ground one um it quickly became you know evident that that was going to be problematic um, Timber Lab had suggested that we do, you know, okay, maybe three or four columns and beams go up at a time in a bundle. That's really probably going to help you guys a lot. And, and C.D. Smith really grabbed the bull by the horns and said, you know, why are we doing that when we could just, you know, they come on these sleds from Europe, these little, um, you know, kind of custom built carts. Why aren't we just lifting the whole thing or lifting half of it at a time? Um, and I think that really was a big game changer uh, for efficiency and how quick they were able to set those decks. And you didn't have to adjust the crane. So obviously, you know, load and reach on a crane is important. Did the crane have to be upsized to take the larger loads or, or did it have the capacity to do it anyway because timber's quite light? Yeah, yeah. They had a large tower crane on the site. You know, there's six floors of concrete that we never like to talk about. But of course, that existed um, and heavy formwork associated with that and rebar and steel. So um, the crane was already saw pretty oversized for what the timber package was going to be. Um, and the good news when we lift these bundles is, you know, we're kind of lifting them to the optimum location that the crane can drop them. Um, and then, you know, usually the, the biggest struggle is those far out panels on the outside edge of the crane swing. But that wasn't where we were dropping the bundles so it worked pretty well and so got nice little packages these little skids that come out of the containers to lift the components onto the levels what level did you get to before you realized you could start doing that i feel like they had it by level the third level of wood (laughs) 
So, uh, you know, it's funny. We have a we have a camera on the site and, you know, the day we saw them do the first big load, we were like, you know, kind of all grabbed our, our chairs, um, you know, and made the call. And they're like, oh, yeah, you know, we got approval from everybody for it. So, um, you know, it really helps speed it up. And, and we utilize that now on a lot of our jobs, kind of thinking about the scale um, and, and moving things more efficiently. Oh, that's brilliant. I'm glad it was third level, not like the 15th or 18th level before you decided yeah, to do it. What if we just threw a bunch of stuff up there? <laughs> so. uh, and in terms of the uh, concrete, uh, you obviously had a transfer at a podium level somewhere on the concrete structure. Um, is the six levels of concrete below ground or are they like retail tenancies and then there's 25 stories on top? What's the sort of split with concrete and floor levels and ground levels and podium? Yeah, so the ground level has a little bit of retail in it, and of course the lobby entrance, um, and then has the ramp um, that brings you up, and then there's five uh, levels above that of um, of concrete, um, and that concrete is the parking garage for the structure, and also holds a pool because why not, um, and which is a lovely amenity to the building. They, um, you know, they didn't go underground on this structure. Um, the water table is pretty high in Milwaukee, being adjacent to the lake. So it really wasn't um, worth it for them to go down and provide parking below grade. Okay, that's good. Um, The concrete's used in the right application for the right purpose, so that's brilliant. What about staffing? Um, You know, when the interview happened for Timber Lab uh, Swinerton the last time, it was 18 months ago, we were in, you know, the depths of COVID. Did the transport logistics issues from a global supply chain um, you know, almost freeze where everything, you know, containers got locked in the canal because a boat jackknifed in the middle of the canal. Did these things inhibit you from a logistics sequencing supply point of view? Literally every single thing happened on this job that could happen. <laughs> um, you know, we, we, we had a guarantee, you know, kind of early on based off of past projects that we were going to be able to move these containers in six weeks. That was really what we were planning on. We had secretly built in a two week buffer um, because you know it just kind of makes sense to take that pressure off yourself. And um, we were seeing containers take anywhere from eight to 12 weeks um, to come to the site. Um, you know, our initial plan was to bring a lot of things um, up through Montreal and then train them in. Um, and that quickly became an issue because there were droughts um, and so they weren't actually able to get the container ships um, in. So we transitioned then to East Coast ports. And then we kind of played a game of chicken as each East Coast port got overwhelmed um, with the amount of traffic and logistics and, and containers. Um, we just kept moving down south <laughs> further um, and we're delivering. So we just, we stayed incredibly nimble. Um, on the job. Uh, It was pretty impressive, actually. I mean, we had weekly calls between us, the timber suppliers, you know, the the shippers, um, the port. And, you know, we would have eight people every single Monday sitting there with a 200 container list. And we would work our way down that list and figure out where everything was. And um, I think every container on the job was what they call in the trade hot listed as a very important container. Um, and, you know, we were just we were all eyes on all of them, um, which I think was really critical. You know, we, we heard of other jobs that were encountering the same delays, so we weren't alone. Um, but I think really the amount of time and energy that went into managing it 
instead of just throwing up our hands um, was was pretty fantastic. And under your contract, did you have, um, you know, force majeure type concepts where you had to do a notification for delay and then get um, extensions of time? I'm, I'm presuming given it was the middle of COVID, you would have had all those precedents in your contract. Um, what did it actually do to extend the time of the project? You know, I don't want to know what the total time is, but what was the extension required because of the logistics? Yeah, so here's the amazing thing. Um, we finished on time. And ultimately we were only, because of that buffer we had built in, we were only, I think we were delayed by two weeks, um, ultimately by a container. So, um, but we laugh that, you know, we didn't intend this building to be just in time delivery from Austria. <laughs> and that's exactly what it became. I mean, these containers would leave Austria and would arrive at the port and would sit there for less than 24 hours and would usually turn right back around and go to the site, which, um, I don't think any of us really realized um, was, was the plan or the concept. You know, we kept telling the port, we're going to need all this space because we're going to be storing half the building. And, um, you know, I think we probably used a quarter of what we asked for. But, um, but really, the fact that everybody just stayed so light and nimble was the big difference. Um, I mean, I, this is a, a fun thing that uh, I really wish we had been able to get a picture of. So. We were struggling to get the CLT panels over and we couldn't figure out how to do it with the container shortage, um, especially because some of our, our panels were oversized. So the concept that we came up, that KLH came up with was to put them on what are called row rows, roll on, roll offs. Um, and that's what you put cars on when you ship them across the country. So I like to imagine that it was like Beamer, 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 CLT, 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 Beamer, Beamer inside a truck or inside the, a boat as we came across. And um, yeah, so the, and that's how we shipped, I think the last 10 levels of the project out was all through Roros. That's um, impressive to see that you're putting CLT in the same caliber as Mercedes and Beamers. That's um, that's. A, I think a, a, I think a lot. I think a truckload of CLT would probably cost the same. <laughs> well, it would now. We're not talking about wood prices in this particular interview, Taylor, because <laughs> that's a to another topic for another time. In fact, it's yeah. probably surpassed the fire conversation these days. Well, I think the plywood would cost more. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and I just want to say for everybody listening, that was not a Dorothy Dix question. I had no idea what Taylor's answer was going to be in terms of delivering just in time and being only two weeks late on a project during COVID. So please don't be jealous of what her and the team have been able to do. <laughs> Uh, all right. Um, some some interesting side questions. What was the longest fixing you had to uh, use to connect um, the panels together in column and beams? And, and were they like from Rothoblast and were they a meter long? And how did you go with them? Yeah, so we had a fair amount um, of pretty, pretty big screws on the project um, that we were utilizing. I think probably the largest one was they weren't so bad. We have a seven ply layer up towards the roof um, to, to negate uplift up there. And we would have screws up there. The typical screw is about 18 inches long. Um, so, you know, not in the three footers that we've seen in the past, but definitely big enough that, um, you know, to people not in the timber industry, they were flabbergasted. Um, we were laughing early on that, you know, you can't, you know, you can't lose these screws, you know? <laughs> 
And that's a really hard thing to train into guys, you know, or and 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 workers up on the site is to say, hey, you know, that that's that's a five dollar screw. That's a nine dollar screw. <laughs> like, you don't want to leave that sitting out on the top of the floor at the end of the day. So. And what was one of the challenges that you didn't expect on the project that you had to sort of overcome? I know you had the differential sort of column specification and and each floor was unique, but was there something that came up on the project? Because there's always something that comes up on the project and you go, oh, we didn't account for that. And this is how we, we got around it. What was that one thing for you guys? I mean, this is this is really funny. We the the install went extraordinarily well. Um, we were really lucky that that behooved us um, in the project, and really, it felt like the logistics of getting all the material to site felt um, kind of probably the most overwhelming. We had a lot of typical issues that I think come with all jobs. You know, we we had some movement in the concrete cores um, that required cutting of panels. Um, this was CD Smith's first, you know, kind of mass timber install job. They did an amazing, amazing job. Um, but part of it is just learning, like, how do you cut a five? How do you trim? Even more importantly, a five ply CLT panel, you know, six stories up in the air. Um, you know, new to them. So, um, so I think they they took it on board. They they grasped it and completely went to town on it um, and did a great job. But um, you know, these are these were all early conversations that had to be had and getting the right tools to make sure that they could do that job um, really precise. And most of the times, you know, if it's a, a delicate trim, you might use a Japanese hand saw that's really good for timber. But in some um, oblique cases, you might use a chainsaw. Did chainsaws make a venture onto the site at any point? We, if they did, we don't want to hear about it. <laughs> you know, we, we had to do some trimming. I think on a glue, the end of a glue lamb beam going into a bucket is a great place for a chainsaw to, to work its way out. Um, but when we come to our, our, our beautiful CNC'd panels and, and some of those really delicate cuts, um, you know, we, there's some pretty cool like rotobass planers and things that can come into play um, that still keep that high-end precision uh, available. And in terms of the superstructure, we know it's CLT, we know we're using column and beam system and on a podium deck and going up. Um, was there a cementitious floor that was being placed on top of that for acoustics? How did you handle acoustics fire? Yeah, so there there is a gypcrete layer um, on top of the CLT, and that was purely for acoustics. Um, the CLT is is providing the diaphragm in this project, so it's a spline together um, with bearing fasteners. Um, so we weren't relying on like a concrete topping or anything, um, which was one of the reasons why the building, you know, kind of penciled um, so well was was we didn't have to to worry about that concrete weight. Um, they also, I believe, have an acoustomat um, associated with that. And then um, the flooring has some underlayments as well um, to try to provide that. I believe they're using LVT um, and a mixture of carpet and LVT in most of the units. And central lift core and concrete? Correct. Yeah. Correct. There's a central um, elevator bank and stair core. Uh, buildings kind of shaped like a, a little bit like a short L. And then um, they have another uh, concrete stair core at the at the long end. And how's the structure tied back to that concrete core? 
Yeah, there was a series of uh, steel ledgers, um, which utilized um, some embeds uh, that were already in the concrete core. One of the caveats from um, Milwaukee was that we weren't allowed to do any on-site welding um, near the wood, which isn't atypical, but always throws everybody a little bit through a loop when you have to start thinking about that. So we had some pretty cool embed channels um, that we installed into the concrete cores and those channels allow uh, a series of bolts to slide up and down. Um, and that kind of gives you um, that adjustability that you need to ensure that even if the concrete core is, is a little bit out, that we have um, the flexibility to go up and down and a little bit left and right. All right, is there anything else you'd like to tell the audience about the project that's unique and not something that they can read out there in uh, literature land or research land that everyone's probably very familiar with? Yeah, I mean, I, going back to that custom piece, if we had dropped one piece or had damaged one piece, the whole job would have come to a halt. So, um, you know, I think in the construction industry, everybody in some ways treats the material as the throwaway and the labor is really, you know, where the time and money and value comes into. Um, and this was the exact opposite. I think, you know, while the labor was amazing and the guys were fantastic, every single piece, you know, was this kind of beautiful, custom made, um, intricate, <laughs> specific piece. And, and it had to be treated kind of with gloves the whole process through. And that was kind of a labor of love that had to be explained all the way through, whether it was, you know, the guy back at the port or driving the truck or the crane or anybody, um, that these things are irreplaceable in some ways. Um, and I think everybody took that to heart on the project and it really shows. It was probably one of the cleanest job sites I've ever walked through um, when I was out there. So it was really wonderful to see. Oh, that's good then. Your site safety walk forms for your management system would be pristine, right? You wouldn't have to do too much. <laughs> Clear aisleways, no one using hot works, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. yeah. My number one rule is no Sharpies on my job. <laughs> Ah, <laughs> oh, that's awesome. And Taylor, thanks so much for walking us through a unique view of Ascent. If you want to go and have a look at the project, I'm sure it's on Timber Labs website. There's a million articles available through um, all the social media platforms that we have. So what are you up to next, Taylor? What's happening next for you? Well, I'm all over the country now. So um, I, have, I have two projects in Seattle. Um, I have one in LA and then another in Raleigh. But I think the most exciting thing for me is that three of those are office buildings. Um, and I think, you know, in the depths of COVID, we kind of thought the office was dead <laughs> and that we wouldn't, we wouldn't get back to it anytime soon. And we're seeing a huge resurgence in the market here for office, which I really think plays into mass timber really well. Um, I think we'd all love to work in a mass timber building if we could. So I'm super excited to see, to see that come back online and for more of these to get built. Are you the project manager on PDX? I am not. Oh, damn. Oh. You can only have so many award-winning <laughs> projects. That thing is so beautiful. I'm very jealous. That's so. all right. I'll have to convince Sam and James to give me a, a, a hook in on the person that's the project manager for that one as the next installment from Timber Labs. So. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll get you Jared's number. It'll be... <laughs> Just put in a good word for me and tell me, tell them that it's not such a difficult thing to have an interview with me on a podcast. So 
<laughs> Will do, definitely. Look, thank you so much for your time. We really do appreciate it. Um, yes, as I said, an oblique look at the Ascent project. If you want all the specifics, you can get all that, the height, the weight, the number of levels, the cubic meters, but the insights you've given are extremely valuable. Um, I think the key takeaway for me was that the care that the team took in um, treating each element as being um, non-replaceable. And I think that then puts this level of specific performance in place, sort of philosophy around each piece being vital is really important. So thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Thank you so much for your time. And I look forward to catching up with you again in the near future. Yeah, that sounds great. Thanks so much, Paul. No worries. Thank you. Bye-bye.